Hey, everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, July 28th, 2013. Here we are, near the end of Phyllis, and it feels like the end of an era to me. Phyllis came onto the show in 1994, which was the year that I started watching, and so I'm having this nostalgia, <laughs> and I, I am wishing that we were seeing more flashbacks of Phyllis. Like, I can sense that it's, that it's winding down, and I want to see more flashbacks. I think I want to see more people from her past coming back into play. I... I I'm liking that it's ending on a Phyllis versus Sharon note, but wouldn't it have almost been way better if it was ended on a Phyllis versus Christine note? I mean, that's kind of how Phyllis came on to the show, and I think that would have been an interesting way to end it. Remember a couple months ago when Christine was talking about filing a civil lawsuit against Phyllis? I personally would rather see Phyllis go to jail for her crimes, finally maybe get some punishment for all of the crimes that she's committed, rather than what's happening now, because what's happening now is sad and creepy, and it's unsettling in a lot of ways. Um, I don't know, and it's really making Sharon look bad. I Like I said, I do like Sharon versus Phyllis, and at the beginning of this week, Sharon is at the graveyard talking to Cassie out loud about the fact that she switched Summer's paternity results, and Sharon doesn't know, but Phyllis is overhearing everything that she's saying, and Sharon has some real telling lines where she's just being real honest about what she did, and Sharon even says out loud, I put things right. I think that's a really telling line. She goes on to say, um, Summer never should have been Nick's child in the first place. If Summer hadn't been Nick's child, then Nick would have never married Phyllis, and therefore, naturally, Nick and I would still be together. Which is, it's so... Uh, representative of where her mind is. It's a it's a very simplistic approach, a very like an if-then statement that works out miraculously in her favor. And it is very sick and twisted thinking. And she doesn't realize that everything she's saying is being overheard by Phyllis. And Phyllis uh, steps out from the shadows. I think her phone rang or she made a noise or something. And Phyllis steps out to reveal herself. And Sharon has this paranoid moment of, oh my gosh, did she just hear everything? And Phyllis full on confronts her with what she's heard. Can't believe it. Like, oh my God, this is what you did. And Sharon denies it at first. She says, nobody's ever going to believe you. What are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. But Phyllis knows what she heard, and she has the full realization that Sharon broke into the lab and switched the paternity results, which, by the way, is very fitting. It was very fitting to watch Phyllis realize that that had happened to her because Sharon took one from the book of Phyllis. Phyllis was the queen of paternity results switching. All of the cover-up that she did back in the day to ensure that Danny thought Daniel was his son. So this did feel fitting to see that it's happened to her. But Phyllis is 
in, in her mind is blown. She cannot believe that Sharon would do this to Nick, to Jack. I mean, obviously there's no love lust between the two women, but that Sharon uh, seems to love Nick and is doing it almost out of a sick uh, uh, mentality that she's doing it for Nick. Phyllis cannot believe it. She tells Sharon she's going to go to Nick. She's going to tell Nick everything. And Sharon realizes that she can't let that happen. <laughs> At any cost, I think Sharon cannot let that happen. So Phyllis runs off and Sharon goes to run after her. But there's this moment where Phyllis has gone away and there's just this shot of Sharon at the graveyard and this look on her face where she was just giving me full on Britney Spears crazy. Like, I expect her to shave her head and just start acting ir more irrational at any moment now. And it's funny because I got two voicemails from two different people this week, Gary and Patricia, um, YNR chat uh, friends, who mentioned the same thing, uh, that Sharon has really always kind of been messed up. And that Doris, back in the day, had when Sharon came onto the scene, had kind of mentioned that Sharon had problems as a child. And we always, you know, if you were watching back when Sharon first came out, and I always felt that Doris was very hard on Sharon for seemingly no reason. She was always kind of putting her down or, or just trying to keep her down a little bit. And now it almost kind of makes you think, well... Maybe that explains it. Maybe Doris had some kind of knowledge that Sharon was just a screwed up person from the very beginning. And so maybe that's why Doris was so hard on her. I thought that was a really um, interesting point that I hadn't thought of before. But now Sharon is in desperation mode. Phyllis goes to the gala where everyone is gathered to honor Nikki and raise money for MS. And Jack is there. Nick is there. But Phyllis is going to find Nick. And he has to tell her. She has to tell him immediately what Sharon has done, that Summer is actually his child. She's going to have to break the news to Jack. And uh, she can't take the elevator, apparently, up to where the gala is. It's just taking too long. So she takes a little sidestep into the stairwell, and she's going to climb the stairwell to get to where the gala is taking, or taking place. And so <laughs> Sharon somehow finds Phyllis in this stairwell. And we, what we have here is kind of, it feels like a final scene. Like, you know, something's going to happen. It's like the stairwell has got this weird echo on it and it's all dark and gray and kind of cheap. If you ask me, I, I swear you guys, I think YNR blew their entire budget for the year on all those restaurants and redoing all of the sets. They had no money to put toward anything lavish or interesting. So this whole kind of final showdown between Phyllis and Sharon is taking place in a dark, dingy stairwell, which I found kind of disappointing. I don't know if you guys got that vibe, but I certainly did. I, I would have liked to have been a little more um, grand. But anyway, Sharon uh, is now kind of chasing after Phyllis. She realizes that she can't deny it. So the only thing she really has to do is now admit what she did. And Sharon goes on to tell Phyllis she's going to rewrite history. And there's nothing Phyllis can do about it. Which I think is a very kind of telling line. Like Sharon, in her mind, is not 
going to let this happen. It is not an option to let Phyllis get to Nick. So Sharon is blocking the door to where Phyllis can't get into the main room to tell anybody anything. Phyllis just shouts out, get out of my way, you demented bitch. (laughs) Which I thought was a really good line. And Sharon is not budging. So Phyllis is like, all right, then she grabs her phone and she starts to call Jack. Now, the problem is, Jack's inside at the gala. They've just raised a ton of money for MS, so there's all of this applause. So Jack's on the phone trying to pick up and talk to Phyllis, and of course, Jack's all excited because he's going to propose to her tonight, and he can't hear what she's saying. Phyllis is just, you know, Jack, Jack, trying to get a hold of him, but he can't hear, so it's it's um, creates almost like a, this uh, dimension sort of feeling, like, um, you know, when you want to scream out for help, but you can't get help. And so Sharon kind of lunges for Phyllis's phone. She's not, she wants to get it out of her hand. So there, there's this struggle over the phone and down Phyllis goes. She tumbles down the stairs, smacks her head onto the concrete below. And Sharon is just standing there at the top of the stairs with this look on her face like, I mean, I don't even know how to read her face. It's like shock and like, oops, maybe, and good. Maybe there's some part of her that's kind of happy about it. I don't know. There's, It's a weird mix of emotion. And I really have to get your opinion on this. I'm sure everybody sees this, di- you know, many different ways. But th- this is a question I have for you guys right now. Poll. <laughs> Did Sharon push Phyllis? Now, I think it's, it's, it's telling because I know some people see it one way, some people see it another. And this week has been so explosive that it actually inspired me to finally go and put up a website for YNR Chat. So I wrote this website. You can find it at yrchat.com. And right on the front page, I've got a poll. Did Sharon push Phyllis on purpose? You've got to go to the website. You've got to vote in the poll or leave me a comment here. Let me know what you think about that. That feels like the question of the week. And by the way, on a separate tangent, um, I worked really hard on the website and I hope that you guys check it out. Um, I think it's it's going to be really good. I've got, um, you know, I, I've got this uh, photo caption up there. It's uh, Sharon standing over Phyllis and it's kind of like a contest game. Um, so if you think you're fun, <laughs> Go to the, the website, yrchat.com, and uh, find the photo caption and see if you can caption it and make it funny. Um, I, I think it's kind of an interesting little screenshot, and I think that'll be an interesting game. And I do plan to add other games and trivia and stuff to the website. There's also a forum section, so you can start a discussion there. I'm going to get some starter questions up. It's a new site, so there's not a whole lot there yet, but I'm going to get some starter questions up um, and just kind of to facilitate the conversation throughout the week. I mean, obviously, we always talk on Sundays, but um, this way we can kind of chat back and forth throughout the week. And also, I built the website on a social networking platform, so you can go there. You can um, sign up for an account, which is just a private social network um, for us, and uh, you can fill out a profile, show me who you you are should help me match a face to your username so upload your photo and you can answer some profile questions and tell me a little bit more about yourself and then you can post in the forums um, comment on blogs participate in the 
uh, photo caption or the other games and stuff I'll put up there. And I'll also put, you know, news and stuff up there too. So I'm really excited about having that. But first and foremost, whyrchat.com. Tell me, did Sharon push Phyllis? Now, I don't think so. I don't think Sharon pushed Phyllis on purpose. I I watched it three times. trying to determine that because I knew that was going to be a key moment. And I I really, or key question, I really, I don't think so. I think the situation was very reminiscent of Drusilla's death. In fact, it was very similar. W- weren't Phyllis and Drusilla fighting over a phone when Drusilla fell over the cliff? I can't remember what Drusilla was going to tell everybody, but there was something Phyllis didn't want Drusilla to find out. And, you know, same exact thing, thing happened. I think... It was a situation that just kind of happened. Um, I I went back, watched the scene. I didn't sense uh, Sharon physically pushing Phyllis at all. I think it was just an unfortunate event. But now here we are, Sharon at the bottom of the stairs over Phyllis's body, probably asking herself, what just happened? I mean, she, she's like, turn, she it turns off. Phyllis's phone because Jack is still on the other line. <laughs> she turns off the, the, the phone so that he can't hear anything. And she kind of leans over Phyllis and checks her pulse on her neck. I'm like, well, Phyllis didn't have a heart attack. <laughs> she hit her head. When you hit your head, your heart doesn't automatically stop beating. I just thought it was interesting that that was Sharon's first reaction. Like, is she dead? I'm going to check her pulse. Um, <laughs> so she's down there. Um, totally uh, not knowing what to do. And Nick and Avery, at the same time, have just decided that they're going to make up and move forward with their relationship, and she forgives him. So they come into this very same stairwell to start making out, while Sharon's at the bottom with Phyllis's, like, comatose body, passed out body. And Sharon just has this look of mortification on her face. In fact, it was... I loved the face. I went back and watched that scene a couple of times, too, because Sharon's just looking up at them like, oh, oh, my God. (laughs) Nick and Avery are way too busy kissing, though, to pay any attention to what else is going on. So Sharon very slyly grabs her purse, grabs everything that's fallen out of her purse, except one tube of lipstick that she leaves behind. And... Sharon slinks out the door and there's this shot of this one lipstick that she's left behind and I'm thinking, oh no, this lipstick is going to be significant. And sure enough, later on, everybody finds out that, you know, what happened. Um, and uh, I think it was, I don't know, who was it that discovered the, I think Sharon, yeah, Sharon, Nick and uh, Sharon slinked out. Nick and Avery are able to unlock their kissing long enough to see Phyllis lying there at the bottom of the stairs. And everybody kind of slowly finds out. Jack finds out. They whisk Sharon, or I'm sorry, they whisk Phyllis away to the ER and Paul comes back later to investigate, and which I think is kind of ridiculous. Like, Paul finds out, and all of a sudden there's, like, got to be an investigation. Like, there's no reason whatsoever to suspect foul play. I, like, and it just, Paul comes back and he picks up, he takes a photo of this tube of lipstick as evidence, <laughs> and then he picks it up with a handkerchief, you know, like, it's a tube of lipstick, like, If it was a bottle of meds with Sharon's name on it, like a prescription medication bottle with Sharon Newman's name on it, then yeah, I could see maybe there was some reason to suspect something. But a tube of lipstick? 
in a public stairwell? That just seems like such a far stretch to me. So, anyway. Now Phyllis is in the hospital, and she's lying there, and she's in a totally unflattering position, by the way. I'm sure Michelle Stafford wasn't exactly happy about that, but nobody looks good from, like, this angle. Like, with your head all laid back and shooting up and all your chin folds. <laughs> so, like, it was not a, a pretty, she didn't look very pretty in that scene. Um, we're used to seeing her so glamorous. But whatever, she hit her heart head so bad, she suddenly has to have brain surgery, and she's in, like, this coma state. And I'm just thinking, is this it? Is this where we are? Is she gonna die? Is she gonna be in a coma forever? I don't get it, and I kind of don't like it. I really, at the end of the day, feel a little... I feel disappointed by this as Phyllis's end. I, I mean... The whole stairwell thing, it just seemed too cheap and too easy, and part of me wishes it was bigger. This is freaking Phyllis. This is Michelle Stafford. She's, like, one of the biggest, baddest personalities on the show for so long, and I feel a little bit like she's going out with a fizzle. I mean, I'm not saying that the stairwell scene wasn't dramatic because it was good, but now just seeing her lie there in a coma, I feel like it's icky, and it could have been bigger, and it could have been better. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. How do you feel about this ending and this exit? I think people, much like Sharon, either love or hate Phyllis, and I just, I think either way, people would want to see her go out kind of like, you know, and I would like to there to be some level of opening still. I don't want them to just kill the character. Like, she fell down, hit her head, and died, really? That's going to be the end, <laughs> the end of it? Um, I would like for there to be some um, possibility or opening for her return. Now, I know everybody doesn't feel like that, because I also, I got many voicemails this week. <laughs> I had, like, an hour's worth of voicemails this week. Um, Betsy called in. She was very happy that Phyllis was dead. She was all, ding-dong, the witch is dead. And I know a lot of people are going to be happy to not have to be seeing her anymore. Um, Kim called in also, and, you know, she felt, you know, it's like, you like Phyllis when she's not in your face. I mean, in fact, uh, Kim called her a bulldozer, and it's very true. Like, she talked over the other characters in the scene. She had a way of dominating. I can't imagine what it was like to work with her. But at the same time, she really brought a lot of spice and a lot of, um, you know, villainess to the show, which reminds me of a point that Michael had called in and made, that, like, Phyllis is absence is now kind of leaving us with um, a need for a, a vixen. And it seems like Weiner is kind of trying to shove Sharon into that role, but does it really fit? I don't know. Sharon doesn't seem as vixen-y to me. But there does have to be a, 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 a villainess. And Phyllis leaving seems to um, leave a hole there. Like, I don't know, as usual, I'm somewhere in between everyone. Like, I, I, I don't really want to see Phyllis go. I wanted to see less of her. <laughs> um, 
Uh, but it's funny because I was reading this week, trying to figure out if uh, the rumors are true that Michelle Stafford, Stafford is going to General Hospital, which, by the way, she denied, and I don't think is true. I don't think she's going to General Hospital. Um, she gave an interview that said she was leaving the show because her sister has cancer, and I think she wanted to spend more time with her sister. And she also mentioned that YNR didn't really make any kind of effort to keep her. So she told him she was leaving and they were just like, I, there was no, I mean, cause I can, I'm sure that Michelle Stafford was not happy with the fact that she went from being a leading lady to a supporting character. I mean, when the new writers came in, they did sideline her. It was obvious. And I imagine she tried to use a little bit of a negotiating technique and it didn't work out. I think it was a shame that they didn't even attempt to keep her on a recurring st- status um michelle stafford i read had also mentioned that she felt that the character was written by too many people so she was overall not happy with the direction that it was going i just think it's a shame that yr couldn't i and i hope they still do i don't know what's going to happen to villas i have no idea but i hope that they do still leave the door open for a return because i believe that yr is losing a really heavy hitter here and her notices, her absence is going to be noticeable whether you like her or not. Jack is at the hospital praying that Phyllis is going to come out of this. He's still got the engagement ring in his pocket, which makes it so much more heartbreaking. Jack is in total denial about what's happening. He just keeps saying that everything's going to be fine. He believes in Phyllis's tenacity, and he believes that she's going to come out of this unequivocally. And there is a really touching scene where Jack and Avery are in the waiting room together, and Jack is telling Avery about Summer's birth. Because Jack has a lot of pain going on, a lot in his head right now. It's not only that his girlfriend is in the hospital, but now it's the mother of the child that he didn't know that he had, even though we know that's not true. And I, you know, even though we've heard Jack tell that story a hundred times in the past couple months about Summer's birth, I still had tears in my eyes as he was telling it to Avery, and he's reliving it in a way. Oh, Peter Bergman is so good. He's reliving it, and you could see him holding the little baby in his hands, in his mind, and he has his hands cupped in in front of him, and he's just seeing her there in his hands. And even after Avery left the room to go get them some coffee, she turns around and unbeknownst, you know, Jack doesn't realize that she's watching him, but he's still got his hands cupped in front of him, and he's still seeing it. Like, ah, he's just fully reliving the moment. And I just thought that was... It was really wonderful. I I 100% feel empathy for Jack in this moment. Peter Bergman is just rocking my world. I What do you guys think about Avery and her reaction? Because when Avery is sad, I mean, she's, she's recounting to Jack in return about, you know, her and Phyllis as a child when they were children. And when Avery is sad, she does just revert to this little girl. I get this little girl vibe from her and she's just sad and little and needs protection from her big sister and now her big sister who's always appeared so strong is so weak and she's afraid for her. Avery 
really has no one left after Phyllis. The father died. Uh, if Phyllis doesn't make it, the, I don't think the mother is still, if she's still alive, she's not still a part of their lives. So Avery's family is really whittling down. And I want to feel the connection between Avery and Phyllis. I think the problem, I think I could have felt that a lot more if Phyllis and Avery's sisterly connection could have been played up a little more over the past couple of months because I in some ways, don't think of Phyllis and Avery really as sisters. I think of Avery as kind of the woman who stole Phyllis's husband, in a way. <laughs> um, I mean, not that Nick was necessarily stolen. He went willingly. But I, I, I don't know. I never, I don't think Wayne are focused enough on building up what their personal relationship was for me to feel as connected to Avery in that moment as I did, for instance, to Jack. I was all about Jack all week. Um, I thought it was really sweet of Adam to show up, to be there for Jack. They have something in common, almost, <laughs> in the fact that they have are having their children uh, hidden or, or taken from them or paternity not being honest uh, with them. So I thought it was kind of nice of Adam to show up. He's showing a lot of loyalty to Jack, and um, I thought that was very touching. Um, now... Adam leaves, and everybody kind of realizes that Summer needs to be told. And Jack said, Nick, why don't you tell Summer? Jack doesn't want to overstep the bounds of trying to be a father at this point. So um, Nick sets off to tell Summer. Now, Summer is having the worst week ever <laughs> that a teen could probably have because she had just recently had a conversation with Kyle about their feelings for each other. Kyle shows up at the apartment and they pretty much acknowledge that they both still want each other. <laughs> so it's either move to a state where that's legal or just stay away from each other. And they kind of said, have a nice life and act like they're never going to see each other again. But that's not really possible. I don't know what planet they're living on where they think they can just never see each other again as brother and sister, even though they're not. But they had this moment where it was a goodbye. And I don't know, maybe it was goodbye more as a love interest. Maybe that was just them closing the book on that part of their relationship. But I think it is going to be interesting to experience this pull between them that is really naughty on a whole nother level, like really, because they really can't go there. <laughs> but they could, you know, because they're not really related now. But anyway, Summer's got way bigger problems because Nick comes in and he tells her what's happened to Phyllis and Summer rushes to the hospital and she's very despondent and she's, I don't remember who she's talking to, but she had mentioned that, you know, she, she needs her mom to be all right because all of a sudden in her life, dad's not dad anymore. So mom has to be mom. And you really, I really got a sense of how she felt in, in, in that moment. And there was this triple handhold moment between Jack and Summer and Nick. You know, even though the family is non-traditional and we're all not sure where the pieces are going to fall, we do love each other. We all love and care about each other. And that's the best we can offer right now. I think that Jack is holding on by the skin of his teeth. 
Uh, Victoria ends up going to get Billy to uh, because she knows that Jack is going to need some support, and she tells Billy he needs to be there for Jack, and Billy realizes how important it is for him to be there. So Victoria and Billy kind of set off to go to the hospital, and there was this brief little scene at, at the end of the scene where Billy tries to reach out for Victoria's hand, and she pulls it away. So Billy shows up at the hospital, and he is just being there for Jack, and it was great to see him being there for Jack, because Jack is going to need it. Phyllis comes out of surgery, and apparently, by the way, Nikki's MS doctor, who I'm just going to call Dr. Sex, (laughs) he's also a surgeon? I mean, I'm sorry. That's inconsistent. I just thought he was Nikki's specialist. Now he's suddenly a brain surgeon. And he's coming out and he's giving them the prognosis on Phyllis, basically saying she'll be groggy for now, but she should be okay. And so everybody goes in one by one to see Phyllis in her hospital bed. And again, it's so weird to see Phyllis in this position. Have we ever seen Phyllis in the hospital like this before now, if you got to tell me what you think about that, because, or if you remember any time Phyllis being in the hospital, other than, I mean, I can't, other than the birth of summer, I can't think of a time when Phyllis has been in the hospital. So it's just, it's odd to see, a you know, our heroine, this woman who's like so strong, you know, being so weak in, in this hospital bed. And Jack is by her side constantly. I'm sure he was there all night, just trying to talk her, out of it. And Avery and Summer were there too, but really it was Jack talking to her that just kept me in the moment. Jack has this indomitable faith in her and that she's going to recover and that she's going to move again. And he tells Summer, Phyllis is all about big entrances, sea watch. And, and he says, come on now, Red, you know, it's time for time for you to wake up and just oh the way he's talking to her it's so amazing and there after summer leaves jack is sitting there with phyllis and he's holding her hand and she does just lightly squeeze his hand and he says phyllis or you know can you hear me phyllis and phyllis out of nowhere just pop opens those blue eyes and it looks so creepy <laughs> There's something missing there. It's almost like the second she opened her eyes, I felt it was like a lobotomy or something. Like her, she just looked like a doll, you know, like those dolls that eyes open and close and it just opened real creepily. <laughs> and she starts to get very agitated. Uh, she's trying to speak. She can't speak. Jack rushes out to get the doctors and they try to like give her a sedative, but she clearly remembers the fight that she had with Sharon. There was a, a flashback from her point of view of the argument. I don't know if Phyllis remembers the fall because she didn't flash back to that, only the argument. So I don't know if Phyllis understands what happened to her fully, but after she goes to sleep, Jack comes back in, and um, she is a little more calm, and she's looking at him, and he is talking to her, and he just has this amazing monologue. He's essentially proposing to her, saying how much 
He loves her, that she is, in fact, the greatest love of his life. He has an incredible amount of affection and respect for her. I, I don't know to what level she heard or understood him, but she speaks. And I'm sure Jack wasn't very happy, but the kind of the first words out of her mouth, it seems like she was trying to say, Sharon. And that was a little bit muffled, but she very distinctly said, Nick. <sighs> so I, I'm sure that Jack is taking that the wrong way, uh, which is very unfortunate because it's just made this huge romantic plea. But now on the sideline, Sharon has been going pretty much pacing. She's pacing. She's very nervous. She knows that if Phyllis wakes up and can remember everything, her she's going to be dashed. All her whole plan with the paternity is going to be thrown off track. And not only that, who knows, there could be charges against her. So Sharon is very, very nervous right now, and she's talking to Cassie's ghost still, and she realizes that she needs to try to uh, prep Nick <laughs> for what's about to happen, and also she wants to get information about Phyllis's condition. So she goes over to Nick's house, and uh, he and Avery are there. They explain to Sharon that Phyllis is awake, not necessarily talking, and you can tell that... Sharon has a sense of, well, Nick, I, I kind of got something to tell you. And she didn't really say I have something to tell you, but she was like, well, I haven't been that good of a friend to you. Yeah, you can tell that she wants to explain herself before Phyllis does. Mm. I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. But <sighs> Summer is at the hospital and a detective comes to deliver Phyllis's personal effects that were collected from the scene. And Summer takes the bag of Phyllis's things, goes home, and she's looking through them. Oh, Phyllis's cell phone, no big deal. Little knickknacks here and there. But she pulls out the tube of lipstick, and it says creamy nude on it. The lipstick uh, color is creamy nude. Now, Summer distinctly remembers that cute little final fashion scene between she and her mother where Phyllis was showing off her dress and they were talking about lipstick. Phyllis specifically said the color she was wearing was everlasting apricot. And this is creamy nude, not everlasting apricot. <laughs> this is so dumb. I mean, creamy nude can only mean one thing. Sharon! Adam is at the MS Gala, and he takes every opportunity he can find to rub Nick's nose right down in what he did with Summer's paternity. He said, actually... Thanks, Nick, for doing something so bad that it made even me look good. Ooh. <laughs> that was bad. That was good. That was bad. That was good. It, it does definitely put Nick and Adam on a similar playing field. But, Adam, might I remind you that if you expect forgiveness from everyone in the family and everyone around you for your prior sins, you need to be willing to forgive Nick, too. Nick should be given the forgiveness if you're entitled to the forgiveness as well. I do think that it was rude of Adam to bring that up at Nikki's 
charity event, Adam pretty much was seething with so much anger toward Nick that he kind of co-opted some of the social part of it. He had to make it all about Nick's sin and he wanted to bring it to light. And I personally just don't think that it was the time or the place, but... Believe me, I also realized that Nick and Victoria would have done the exact same thing, and I'm sure that they have on many, many occasions when the tables were turned. So it is kind of tit for tat. Now, Billy is not at the gala event. Billy is at his restaurant conspiring with Melanie to get back at Adam. And now I can't help but mention that when this sort of series of scenes opened, Melanie is coming into the restaurant and telling Billy, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm late. A, a doctor's appointment ran long. Hmm, a doctor's appointment. I just, I picked up on that little seed and I just wonder if the girl's pregnant. I just wonder. I wonder if she's pregnant and maybe it's not even Adam's. Maybe, who knows, she was trying, maybe she was pulling a scam on him, gonna make him him think that, 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 that he's the father of her child when she's not, and he's actually the child of Chelsea's, uh, father, that, he's actually the father of Chelsea's child, but <laughs> she's not telling him. It's so convoluted and wacky, it's hard to even express it, but we'll have to keep an eye on that. Billy is working with Melanie to try to get her to sue Adam for sexual harassment. This is Billy's big plan. Billy says that he's doing this for Victoria and it's going to help Melanie get revenge on Adam in return. He goes on, Billy goes on to explain why he thinks this is such a great idea. And he even says, like, Adam and Victor got my wife out of Newman Enterprises, got her pushed out of the company, and she got bubkiss. This is his rationale for setting Adam up for sexual harassment. Now, let me just say, bubkiss? $500 million is bubkiss? Victoria sued Victor. She was the main person behind suing Victor for billions of dollars, which forced him to take the company public, which put them right into the predicament that they're in today. Victor and Adam were left to clean up the mess that Victoria's lawsuit created. Excuse me, bubkiss. Poor little Victoria. So Billy wants to ruin Adam's character so that he gets ousted at Newman. And so Victor will see that Adam's not quite the golden boy. And then Victor will fire Adam from Newman and Victoria will be able to sweep in and get her job back. <coughs> Billy is so, his thinking is so far off in this situation. <coughs> he's explaining the whole situation to Melanie and he, he said, <laughs> he's telling trying to explain to Melanie how much he loves his wife, and he said something like, you know, before I met Victoria, I was a real lowlife. Yeah, that's changed. Look what you're doing now. He says, loving me cost Victoria her birthright. Uh, Victoria is doing just fine, okay? Victoria is not an only child. Victoria didn't want to play nicely with her other siblings. Victor and Adam both gave Victoria more than one opportunity to get involved at Newman Enterprises, and she didn't want it. She either wanted the whole pie or no pie. And so she quit. She's the one that quit. So this makes no sense to me. I mean, 
look, it's not like Billy doesn't have a straight up reason for wanting to get revenge on Adam, but I don't see how getting Victoria her job back and back into her daddy's good graces and his life is going to help him. How is making Victoria closer with Victor going to help him get his wife back? I don't get it at all. I smell a rat and I got a really awesome voicemail from Anna this week with such a good idea that totally made me, this is going to blow my mind if it's true. You guys, could Melanie still be working for Victor? Could this whole sexual harassment thing be a setup to reel Billy into this to, for, you know, for on Victor's end to make uh, Billy look even worse than he already does to Victoria? Dylan and Chelsea are going through Lamaze class right now, which makes me wonder, do they not know the gender of the baby yet? Did I miss something? Are they having a girl or a boy? And shouldn't we be finding that out soon? I don't know, just, I mean, surely within the next couple of weeks, they'll be revealing that, or at least addressing why they have chosen not to find out. Maybe I missed something, I don't know. But... Dylan and Chelsea are outside their Lamaze class when Chloe comes tromping in and she says she needs to speak to Chelsea alone. It's an emergency. And Chelsea tries to blow her off saying, um, yeah, maybe, you know, it's not really a good time. Chloe, no, this is an emergency. What part of that don't you understand? So it's all about Chloe. Dylan has to leave the room and Chloe goes on to tell Chelsea about everything that's happening with Billy. In fact, Chloe revealed to Chelsea that she kissed Billy. So now Chelsea realizes that Victoria kind of has a reason to want to keep Chloe away. And now Chelsea is stuck in this position where she has to convince Chloe to stay away from Billy because it's in her own best interest. If she doesn't, Victoria's going to tell Adam the truth about her baby's paternity. So Chelsea is really taking the opposite side of Chloe's telling her about the kiss and Chelsea calls, you know, Billy a train wreck. She's like, oh, great, you kissed a train wreck, which is true. But who who is Chelsea to get judgy? All of a sudden, like, all of a sudden, Chelsea is throwing stones at Chloe about her choices in men. Chelsea doesn't have any right to tell anybody about anything. Life choices in general. Look at your own life for crying out loud. So, Chloe and Chelsea are at the hospital when Victoria arrives to check in on the situation with Phyllis. And there's a really tense confrontation between Victoria and Chloe. And Victoria tells Chloe, in no uncertain terms, stay away from my man. And Chloe's like, wait, I don't have anything to do with him. Do you see us together now? And Victoria knows what's up. I'm sorry, Victoria's right. Chloe is trying to come in on her man. So Victoria just tells her, look, Billy has his addictions and you have yours. You're addicted to men. And you were fine when you were with Kevin, but now that you're not, you're looking for somebody to cling on to, and I'm sorry, it's true. I wish that she would find somebody who wasn't married, aka sex man Alex, detective sexy, <laughs> the sex, what did I call him? Not sex wolf. Um, what is he? Sex, sex tiger? I don't know. We got to come up with a new name for Alex. I don't know why that Chloe can't pass time with him. That would be the perfect thing to do. But 
Victoria is not having it. And I was kind of enjoying her coldness <laughs> in that scene. I mean, she just seemed particularly icy standing there in her sparkling white evening gown, just being really cold. Not, I mean, there was not even a hint of emotion in her. She was just fully pragmatic, tr telling Chloe to stay away from her man. I mean, Victoria has Chloe and Chelsea right where she wants them. The, the thing is, that gets me, both Victoria and Billy are scheming ways to get back together. If you want to get back together, why not just get back together? The serial blogger strikes again. There's a new article on GC Buzz about Kane. He's gone away on a business trip, and the article is saying, oh, he, Kane Ashby going away on a business trip, and he's seen boarding the plane with a sexy woman who's not his wife. So it's obviously Hillary that's <laughs> writing this blog. I mean, come on. But Lily doesn't realize that at all. She's full-on paranoid. Um, Kane said he was going on a business trip alone, and now she reads this GC Buzz article that he's with somebody else, and she ha Lily happens to be having lunch with Abby, and Abby's the one that saw the article, showed it to Lily, and was kind of trying to get inside Lily's head and make her paranoid. Abby was like, well, uh, maybe you need to find out if your man is trustworthy or not, basically is what she was saying. Abby was totally fanning that flame, and I was very irritated by that. She was like, well, if you got nothing to worry about, maybe you need to call and just confirm what he's doing. <laughs> Abby is just, like, her radar is up for cheaters right now or something. But Lily calls Kane's phone, and a woman answers. And she doesn't realize it right away, but it's Hillary. And Hillary says, oh, Kane's just having his calls forwarded. I'll put you to the top of the list when he gets out of his meeting and have him call you. And then they hang up the phone, and we just see the scene of Hillary sitting on her laptop, and she's got, like, a picture of Kane and Lily. I don't know if that was his phone or her phone or what, but I, obviously Hillary's got to be the blogger, right? It, it makes complete sense. I mean, she she has something in for Neil and the family, and I don't know why uh, Neil all of a sudden had a memory this week of Rose. He remembers being in that same bar in Evanston, and he remembers meeting Rose. Um, the, the actress looks so familiar. We've seen her face so many times in that picture they keep parading out. But now all of a sudden she's, you know, we've seen her moving live on the screen in this flashback memory. And the actress looks really familiar. I'm not sure what she's from, but um, I'll have to look that up. If you guys know, you'll have to let me know. Um... Also, Leslie, by the way, had this idea about surveillance footage. Since now all of a sudden the blogger seems to be talking about what they're doing in real time, Leslie has this great idea to start looking at surveillance footage to see like, if somebody's talking about them having breakfast at On the Boulevard and all of a sudden there's a blog about it. They need to go back and check the surveillance for On the Boulevard. Yeah, great idea! Carmine has been fired from his job because of his confrontation with Michael. Hmm, methinks that's going to give him a motive to do something crazy. Uh, Lauren 
is in the police station with Michael, and she tells him all about Carmine's proposal, that he said, one more night with her, and he'll drop all of the charges. Now, I got a really, another good voicemail this week from Patricia, who mentions, okay, Michael's in jail, there's not a whole lot he can do, but Lauren didn't even try to go find Fen and make things right with him. Why is that? I mean, Lauren is really dropping the ball on being a good mother here because we're back at Crimson Lights and Fen is sitting there at a table with Raven. Raven's back. I really wanted to like her, but she's instead being a really bad influence on him. But Fen is talking to her. You know, she's telling him, you know, she's ragging on him a little bit for having OD'd for crying out loud. But Fen told Raven that he framed Carmine for giving him the drug. So that's known now. It was uh, definitely a lie. Carmine definitely did not give Fen the drugs. But Fen had this air of seeming like totally proud of himself for having framed Carmine for it, which just shows how totally screwed up Fen is at the time. Uh, Raven decided to try to offer to help Fen escape his problems and says, let's go on a trip, shall we? And they start kind of speaking in code about going to get some drugs. So Fen and Raven go off, get some drugs, come back, and there's this scene where they're both just being like high kids and the camera's doing these weird slow motion effects like Fen's looking at his hand. Hey, look how weird my hand looks. I mean, I'm only assuming that they just went and dropped acid or something. It was kind of cheesy, but also kind of funny. (laughs) Just watching them both like being high there. Um, Now, meanwhile, Lauren gets a text message to her phone that says, Mom, I'm in trouble. I need you. And next thing we know, Fen and Raven are looking for Fen's phone. He doesn't have it. So we realize at this point, Carmine has, I think yet again, stolen Fen's phone. I'm pretty sure that's not the first time he pulled that trick. Took Fen's phone, sent Lauren this text message under false pretenses. Lauren shows up at this empty cabin. What the heck? I mean, didn't she even see this coming for crying out loud? Why would Fen be at an empty cabin? Some hard to find empty cabin in the woods. She goes to the cabin, goes, which she could have just gone to Crimson Lights first, but she goes into the cabin, opens up the door, and there's nobody there. So she realizes, oh, he's not even here. She turns around to leave, and Carmine is blocking the door. And she fully realizes that she's just been lured there. She walks straight up to him, smacks him across the face, and he just looks at her and smiles. He's very happy with himself, and he likes it. I think he probably likes the fact that she smacked him even more. He was probably like, oh yeah, foreplay. (laughs) Uh, So... She tries to leave, but he's at first just kind of verbally trying to convince her to stay. Um, In fact, uh, the reason why she didn't walk out the door immediately was because uh, Carmine convinced her that if she just agrees to stay with him for one hour here at the cabin and listen out through what he has to say, that he'll drop the charges against Michael. Why she agreed to this in the first place is beyond me. Lauren is so 
stupid at this point. I mean, Carmine, of course, starts to get aggressive with her. Of course she does. And it's clear immediately that this is a dangerous situation. Carmine is a dangerous character. You should not trust his word as far as you could throw him. Now, back in Genoa City... Michael's just in jail. They don't really know what's gone on with Lauren. Jill shows up. She doesn't even know that Michael's been arrested. <laughs> Michael's hanging out in the police station like he works there. I mean, Michael's the prisoner with, like, the most leniency ever. He's just chilling in Paul's office. We haven't seen him in a cell. He's not in a jumpsuit. He's just chilling in Paul's office with Jill, <laughs> acting like he owns the place. For crying out loud, he's getting so much preferential treatment. But I love that Jill is back. She's trying to help out. Um, Michael has an arraignment, and of course, they've increased the charges against him. Now it's not assault with a deadly weapon, it's attempted murder. I mean, for crying out loud, he's the former DA. I guess they're trying to teach him a lesson. GC Buzz must be having a field day with this one, um, I'm sure. But uh, Jill is helping out. Uh, she comes back to uh, from overnight, and she comes back to Michael and tells him that uh, neither Fenn or Lauren came home last night. Fenn left a message on the machine saying he's staying with a friend, but it's kind of weird that Lauren didn't come home last night. Now, flash over to the cabin where Carmine has Lauren all tied up to a chair. She's tied to a chair with rope. How could Lauren let him tie her up? If I was Lauren, and I think Lauren should have done this, for crying out loud, I would have destroyed him before I let him tie me up. He would have scratch marks all over his face, bite marks. Like, she looked like he just sat her down, tied her up, and she didn't even put up a fight. Like... This man has ruined her life systematically. Can you imagine the amount of rage that Lauren would be feeling inside? And that she would totally let him have the upper hand is completely 100% ridiculous. I would have bit him, scratched him, stabbed him. There's no freaking way he would have ever got me tied up. There's no way that he could have overpowered her. Like, he's crazy and muscly and yeah, but she has the rage of a woman Period. She has the rage of a woman. <laughs> so it's ridiculous to me how passive Lauren is being. She's just sitting there tied up like, la, 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 la. Carmine is trying to take care of her. He's being so, like, ew, stocky, sticky, sweet. He brings her a plate of freaking waffles and tries to, like, feed her the waffles with a fork. And he's all, oh, um... I guess they're not chocolate-covered strawberries. Remember how I used to take the chocolate-covered strawberries and just trace the outline of your lips with them? If Carmine mentions chocolate-covered strawberries one more freaking time, I'm going to stab him to death. <laughs> I'm so tired of hearing about these chocolate-covered strawberries. Hopefully that's the end of chocolate-covered strawberries and of Carmine. But anyway, she's all tied up. She's not having it. She's just giving him cold shoulder. I would have been like, were your legs tied up, Lauren? Because if your legs aren't tied up, I would have given him a swift kick in the balls. That would have helped. I would have got up and waddled my way out. There's no way that I would just sit there. She didn't look exhausted like she'd been trying to fight. Nothing. She's just sitting there all pretty, tied up to a chair. 
They didn't show her legs bound or anything. And whatever. Carmine still thinks he's got a chance with her. So he thinks by tying her up, this is just going to make her magically fall in love with him. But he starts like kissing on her neck and she can't really get away. And it starts to get real rapey real quick. And I don't know if maybe she's just trying to be passive, hoping that he will uh, let her go. But I don't know, just for me, I would have been enraged at this guy. Now, back in Genoa City, uh, Kevin traces Lauren's cell phone to a landfill. So Carmen has disposed of Lauren's uh, cell phone. And that's when everybody realized that Lauren is actually in trouble. So um, they all start to talk about what they're going to do. Where could Lauren be? Um, They have to find her. But Paul wants to be very by the book. And Michael doesn't. He wants this to be taken care of right now. Lauren is in serious danger. She apparently realizes that she can't get out of the situation physically. So she starts starts to try to manipulate Carmine. She starts telling Carmine exactly what he wants to hear and hoping that he will untie her. So she's really like full on like going for it. Like she's like uh, giving him kisses. But the whole time she's eyeballing this knife on the table that he brought for breakfast with the waffles. So she's eyeballing, got one eyeball on the knife and one eyeball on Carmine. And like he's kissing on her and they're like passionately probably tonguing. And she's just like, just untie me so I can feel you. And he's all, you know, you better not be trying to manipulate me. You better hope that you better hope that you're not trying to manipulate me here. And she's like, no, I wouldn't just I want to touch you. I want to feel you. So just untie me. And so he finally decides to go for it. He unties her and she stands up and she's all grabbing him and they start making out. And she goes to make a move for the knife and he grabs her hand and he's like, bad idea. So he's found out she can't stab him with the knife, but there's still a fork on the table. She grabs the fork and just stabs him with the fork. I think it got him in the arm. (laughs) She goes for the door, but of course he's going to catch her. You know he's going to catch her. I would have stabbed him in the eyeball. I just, I can't help but put myself in this position. And I'm like, oh, I would have done different things all the way along the line. Like stab him in the face, stab him in the eyes or something. Don't go for the arm. That's just going to hurt. Like Lauren has obviously not taken a self-defense class <laughs> but there is like I mean I, I can't help it there's no there's nothing in me that would be passive in a situation like that if I feel even minutely like my life is in danger I'm gonna fight like my life is in danger there's no amount of muscle man that's gonna overcome you fighting for with everything you got and fighting for your life like I don't know maybe some people just aren't fighters but I am <laughs> I would have stabbed him so hardcore I would have been I never would have got tied up I'm sorry it's just ridiculous but now uh michael and kevin are realizing that they're gonna have to help her um michael actually begs paul to uh, to to help like uh, well actually let me back up kevin no 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 michael begs paul to shoot Carmine. He's like, just find him. Find Basco. Do whatever you can do to find him and shoot him. Kill him. You've got a reason. I want this guy dead. So Michael's talking all over the place about how he wants Carmine dead. 
Gee, I wonder if that's any foreshadowing. Um, but now Paul goes off to do his thing, and Kevin remembers that cabin. He remembers that that's where Angelina took him when they were hiding out. I almost want to say that Abby, did Abby take Carmine there? Or did Carmine take Abby to that Carmine or to that cabin at one point? I think we've seen that cabin a couple of times. But Kevin remembers the cabin and thinks that's a really good chance uh, where uh, Lauren would be. So Kevin hacks the security system so that all of the cells like open or like all of a sudden the jail is not secure. I have to say, just on a side note, that I really love Kevin on the inside. Like, basically, Kevin's role is to do things around the law, to circumvent the law. And then Paul's just like, I'm turning a blind eye to this, but you go ahead and do it. But I didn't say go ahead and do it. So Kevin totally breaches the security of the police station. Right now, there are criminals, I'm sure, roaming the streets of Genoa City because of what Kevin did. Murderers and rapists. So rather than just going to the cabin and rescuing Lauren himself, he uh, creates this elaborate hacking thing to let Michael out of jail. So Michael escapes from the jail. We are back at the cabin, and we now see that Lauren is bound and gagged on the bed. Ew! So gross! Like, she's got her arms tied, her legs tied, and Carmine has wadded up something, shoved it in her mouth, and, like, tied it. Oh, she's gagged. It's gross. Just gross. And you don't know what's gonna happen. Like, what's he gonna do? He's so sick. Is he gonna rape her? Is he gonna kill her? I don't even know. But, out of nowhere, just as Carmine looks like he's about ready to come in, like, enact whatever gross plan it is that he has, Michael kicks open the door. (laughs) And he's just standing there, like, enraged looking, like his chest is moving real hard, like he's pounding with adrenaline. And I have to admit, when Michael kicked open the door, I laughed. (laughs) I just started laughing. I, I know it's a serious moment, but... It was kind of cheesy. (laughs) And by kind of, I mean completely. (laughs) Like, YNR is giving me classic daytime here. I mean, it was so unrealistic and just like a cartoon in a way, but whatever. (laughs) I'm with it. I mean, we all know, I think, that Carmine's about to die. And I think there's going to be some level of whodunit. I mean, I don't think that Michael will be the one to do it at the end of the day. He's talking all over the place about how he wants him dead. He wants to shoot him. And that's just, I mean, as far as the show goes, goes, you know that the person who says they're going to do it is never the person that's going to do it. Maybe it would be Lauren. Maybe it would, but the main character is never the one that kills the bad guy. I mean, there's going to, the police are already involved. There's no way that whatever happens at the cabin is not going to become a police issue. So somebody's going to go to, if, if Carmine dies, if I'm correct, and Carmine dies, and I haven't seen Monday's show yet, and if you spoil me, I swear, <laughs> I'm going to be so mad. But uh, if, if you know, Carmine dies, they're going to want to know who did it, and I don't think it's going to be either line, either Lauren or Michael. Maybe Finn could show up out of the blue. I have no idea, but it seems more likely to me like that Carmine is sick enough to just kill himself so that Michael will take the blame for it.
Okay, my podcast friends, I think that takes me just about to the end. I've really enjoyed this week's show, and I worked really hard um, putting together this website, and I'd really love it if you guys would check it out, yrchat.com. I think that I've become a lot more aware of how many people are actually listening and watching the YNR chat just because of all of the voicemails that I've been receiving lately. And so I thought, you know, it would be really cool not only to talk more with you guys, but to let you guys talk with each other and to really kind of create a community of nice people, no mean people. I think that a lot of soap sites are bitter. Like a lot of people are kind of bitter and angry and I'm not going to let that fly at yrchat.com. So if you're at all interested in chatting with me throughout the week, I think that's a really good option. There's a forum there. Um, Hopefully it'll be educational and um, just like a really cool fan community. But I'm also, like I said, doing some trivia and some games. So go check it out. Right on the front page, there should be that photo caption contest, which I think is going to be really funny. If you think you're funny and you like photo captions, go check it out. And, of course, you got to go vote in the pool. Tell me if you think Sharon intentionally pushed Phyllis down the stairs. I'm really excited to see those results. Um, But just in general, I think that'll be a cool place to aggregate everything. So check it out. Add it to your bookmarks. You can, of course, add me on like Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and all that stuff if you'd like to communicate with me throughout the week. I still love hearing your voicemails, so go ahead and give me a call. 309-588-4569. You can also send me a direct email to yrchat at live.com. I'm going to change that email soon though but either way there's a ton of ways to contact me and to communicate with me throughout the week and like I said it's all there at yrchat.com so I love you guys I think that's gonna do it for me I am so interested to see what's gonna happen next week with Phyllis and I still on the horizon I'm wondering when we're gonna get back to Catherine because we're seeing Jill on scene now with this Lauren stuff. I wonder if it's got to be within the next couple of weeks that the Catherine's death storyline is going to be written in. So, oh my goodness, it's going to be a ride. For the next month, it's going to be a crazy, crazy ride. So um, I'm looking forward to taking it with you. (laughs) All right, you guys, I love you, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye!